Welcome to the Hormone Heartbeat Podcast, a podcast about female empowerment through menstrual cycle health, the true heartbeat of your hormone status. With each episode, we'll explore the foundations of hormone health with science, soulful, and heartfelt conversations, a dash of sass, and feminine pizzazz. Our dream is to arm you with exactly what you need to be an unstoppable female force, ready to achieve all that your heart desires and embrace your inner goddess. And here's your host, naturopathic doctor, birth doula, fertility awareness educator, hormone enthusiast, and lover of pretty things, Antoinette Falco. Hey everyone, welcome to episode two of the Hormone Heartbeat podcast. Today we're going to explore the impact of your menstrual cycle on athletic performance and how you can optimize your personal fitness. This episode is for those women whose fitness goals vary from running a marathon to those who just want to be fit and fab. Our next guest, Dr. Tracy Teasdale, founder of Absolute Athlete Care. Uh, Her mission is to create healthy, optimally performing athletes while fostering lifelong mental, emotional, and physical resilience. Welcome, Dr. Tracy. It's so great to have you. Thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to be here. I'm super excited. (laughs) Woohoo! All right. So let's start with just getting, let's get to know a little bit more about you and what led you to work with athletes. Yeah, for sure. So I've always just I've been active my entire life um, through a variety of different sports and I kind of fell into yeah, a, a bunch of different ones. Um, and so now my passion is sort of around uh, endurance sports, um, but I've just always been super inspired by what the human body can accomplish. Um, and then when you add some science to that too, um, you can just start to break down some barriers and achieve things that you know we never thought possible. So yeah. Mm. Oh, the human body, so much to know about it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, so knowing about you know the human body and its complexities, and with athletes, there's a big focus, you know, obviously exercise and exercise performance. Um, so this podcast, being all about hormone health, I'm wondering if you could shed some light on exercise and hormone health, and sort of like what your take is on that relationship, um, and maybe what you've noticed working with, we'll say athletes, but also like women, you know, just maybe not non-athlete per se, but they are interested in being fit and having a more healthy lifestyle. Yeah, for sure. So I always say that I work with athletes and athletes at heart, right? So Mm. the ones that are, um, yeah, just wanting to, I don't, I always say just, I should stop saying just, um, (laughs) but the, you know, people that are trying to be active, want to be fit, want to, um, live a healthier lifestyle. Um, and even, you know, I work with a lot of people that I would call athletes that don't even identify with that either. So, um, it's a, yeah, just, it's people that want to want to be better um, in terms of fitness. So yeah. Um, so in terms of hormone health, uh, there's a few things that I kind of see a lot when I'm working with my athletes, and one of them is just that um, for for women, a lot of times periods can be challenging. Um, there's a bunch of symptoms that can uh, you know put women maybe not necessarily wanting to wanting to work out, you know, if there's um, cramping or dysmenorrhea or really heavy bleeding, that can sometimes be a barrier for some women. Um, and then there's, you know, some, some mood things, there can be GI, you know, gastrointestinal changes in that as well. Um, and then changes in energy, energy levels too. And so those are kind of the things that I look out for. Um, and of course those can all be addressed um, naturally for a lot of women as well. Um, but yeah, I just, I often see it being, a barrier to to performance and a barrier to to active lifestyles, um, and 
I can never find this study, but I'm looking for it. But there was, um, they were looking at the Rio Olympics, so the 2016 Summer Olympics, and they found that um, there was a handful of women that just didn't participate in the Olympics, either in qualifiers for the Olympics or the actual Olympic event because of period problems, mm. which is huge, right? Like you work your entire life to get to the Olympics and all of a sudden it's like, well, can't go because, you know, I got really crampy, right? Yeah. Um, and so it's just something that used to be kind of forbidden in sport. No one ever talked about it, but people are starting to talk about it a bit more, which is really cool. Um, and the other thing that I see a lot too is that like women will lose their periods um, due to basically the female athlete triad or just overtraining and underfueling. Um, and so we're seeing a lot of endurance athletes talking about that these days too. So, okay, we're going to get to that later. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but you said a lot of really good things that I just want to reflect back on. Um, sure. So it sounds like a, you're noticing a lot of women, it's it's like there's almost a cyclical pattern to how they should be exercising in order to achieve performance. And, and sort of it also sounds like that underlying hormone piece when it's not being fully addressed from like all the different pillars, as you mentioned, you know, there's some, there might be some GI stuff. There might be some mood, there might be energy um, that affects then what they've worked really hard, you know, months or leading up to like a specific performance. And that I think when we look at the big stage, like the Olympics is awesome, but on a smaller scale, like women who maybe are exercising to do, Maybe they're wanting to run a marathon or they're wanting to um, do an event with their family or maybe a, a sports competition or fitness competition if that's what they're feeling. Um, so I think this this idea definitely affects women on all different levels. Yeah, for sure. I use the Olympics because um, it's something that people can really, you know, it's, it's impactful, huge. right? People know it and it's like that's a really huge um challenge for women but yeah it definitely happens I see I mean it's happened to me right like I've done races and it's like oh look at this here we go like <laughs> totally unprepared yeah. or you know in the middle I was I did a half Ironman and I ended up getting um some cramps on the bike and I couldn't tell if it was because my fueling was different or whatever and then I got on the okay. run and I was like oh it's my period cool like <laughs> wow and so it's just like <laughs> we're doing the Ironman that's that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, but I mean, it happens to to all of us too, right? And so if we're not really keeping track of it, um, then it can be challenging to predict our performance and what our needs might be because as our hormones change throughout the month, our fueling needs and our hydration needs can change too. So, right. um, yeah. Okay. So now let's talk about that pattern of, in your opinion, what is sort of the best type of exercise to do? Maybe we can break it up by phases of the menstrual cycle or sure. by week. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, when we're looking at the menstrual cycle, there's obviously two main hormones, right? We talk about estrogen and progesterone. Um, and estrogen actually reduces our body's ability to use carbohydrates. So we actually end up burning more fats when estrogen is higher. So that's sort of the, the end of the first part of the cycle. Um, and then progesterone, um, it actually increases our body's breakdown of muscle. Um, and so that can make it challenging in terms of, um, strength training essentially. Right. And so that's usually in the second half of the cycle. Um, so basically the, the easiest days for most of us and we're, when we're best like hormonally primed, I guess, to be able to perform at our best is actually during our cycle, like during our period, um, during those first, you know, one to 
eight-ish or nine days um, for most women, just before that, you know, rise in estrogen um, that we get. Um, and so those are really great times to be doing strength training. Um, and then in the second half of our cycle, kind of days, you know, 14 to 28, if you're on a 28 day cycle, um, that's a really great time to be doing kind of more quiet, like yin kind of exercise. Mm. Um, so if, if you're able to structure your life that way, that's really cool. Um, the challenge that I see though, is that, you know, when you sign up for a marathon or a fitness competition or, you know, a dragon boat race or whatever you're doing, um, they don't always fall in line with your cycle, right? Mm -hmm. So you can't always, you don't always get to, you know, race on day four or day three, um, when you start to feel, feel good again. Right. So, um, I really do encourage, you know, uh, my women to basically follow their cycle and see how they feel. And then they can learn from that as well. Okay, great stuff. And because I know people are going to be asking, tell me what you meant by yin phase of the cycle. <laughs> <laughs> I know what that means. I know, I know. I know. <laughs> so like yin exercises, things that are, they're quiet, they're calmer, they're, you know, more like, um, you know, yoga and things like that, more gentle exercise versus the high intensity, um, you know, high intensity interval training or, um, you know, really power lifting and that kind of stuff. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and it's interesting that you say that during your period is when, you know, you is the, is your optimal time, but it's also when women tend to feel the effects of their, of their yeah. hormones. Yeah. Cause they just, you know, you're in this high hormone phase and all of a sudden they just drop right off and your body's like, great, cool. What do I do now? Right. Um, and because you don't have the, the effects of progesterone and, and estrogen as much as you do the rest of your cycle, you actually end up being able to tolerate the exercise a bit easier um, and you don't have that increase you're, you're better able to use carbohydrates you're better able to um, build muscle and break down less muscle and you're usually better hydrated too because um, progesterone will actually can reduce your blood plasma uh, or the fluid in your in your blood essentially um, by up to eight percent which is pretty huge if you're doing like endurance exercise because you really need to um you need to be well hydrated so that you can cool your body and you can maintain that endurance. So, um, yeah, those first few days is usually when women, if they're having symptoms, that's kind of when they feel the worst, but it's actually the best time, um, for those kinds of things. So, yeah. So what are your, so what, let's get into some of the tips that you can offer women. Let's say they know their cycle's coming. Maybe they, they, they know that it's not going to, maybe they know based on some premenstrual stuff that came up that it's not going to be a good one, but they do still want to keep on their training. What are some tips that you can offer that women can do sort of that day before working out or before, or a couple days before just to get them through that tough period? Yeah. So I always try to figure out like what is, and have women try to figure out what are their symptoms, right? And so okay. one of the biggest ones is cramping. Um, a lot of women get some discomfort with their with their periods, and so that one's pretty easily solvable by um, actually movement is usually the best medicine for that. Um, but if you know that you're someone that tends to be more of a, a cramper, then you could do things like increase your hydration, um, and you can also take like a magnesium supplement as well, or eat foods that have more magnesium in them, um, and that can actually help to reduce reduce some of the cramping as well. Um, my other favorite one too, is just like, do everything you can to set yourself up, up, to set yourself up for success. Right. So whether that's like laying all your stuff out, making a plan, make a date with a friend to go to the gym or to go for a run or whatever it is so that you have something else to be accountable or someone else to be accountable to, because it's 
when you don't feel very good, it's easy to cancel on yourself or it can be easier to cancel on yourself. Um, and it's often harder for people to cancel on others. So usually it's just that, you know, you just got to get out of the door. Like no one ever, no one ever regrets a a good workout, right. Or going to work out. You might regret it. You might not want to go, but once you get there, you usually feel better. Right. And Mm -hmm. especially if you're, um, dealing with any sort of menstrual or premenstrual symptoms, exercise is a really awesome way to mitigate those. Um, so you really just have to get yourself out the door. Anything you can do to to support that is going to be super helpful. Yeah. Well, I even think about if someone chooses to take like a pain medication like Advil yep. or Tylenol, right? That still takes time for it to kick in and start working, yep. right? So that decision to take it could be similar to the decision to leave your house and decision to go work out, which you know that it's going to have an effect on you. In. Yeah. And that, that effect is usually quite immediate too, right? Like it's not like, you know, you take an Advil, you wait an hour and you, then you feel better. Um, exercise, like pretty much as soon as you start doing it, you're going to feel better. You just have to do it. Right. <laughs> so nothing to lose. Come on guys. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, yeah. And, and I, I know you're not going to be the first guest to say that um, movement being a huge uh, type form of medicine when it comes to cramping in mm-hmm. period. Okay, lovely. Good stuff. Oh, one question for our listeners about magnesium. So is that something that they can take before workout? Is it something they should take the night before? Like what sort of would be your optimal time if they were going to take the magnesium? Yeah, I usually do it before bed because some people will just get a better sleep with it. Um, But it doesn't really matter when you take it. But if if you are someone that, you know, sort of cramps on your first day, then I would take it a couple of days beforehand. So if you know that, you know, if you're three days out, then I would just start taking a little bit or even just, you know, increasing dietary um, magnesium through your day as well. Can you give us a couple, maybe like top three (laughs) that have the best magnesium? Yeah, well, I mean, dark chocolate's the, <laughs> the oh, one that everyone loves the most, right? <laughs> How dark are we talking? Yeah, like 70 to 80% for sure. Um, but that's sort of one of the reasons why, you know, physiologically, a lot of times we like women will crave chocolate before their period. Part of it is a stress, a stress hormonal piece in terms of like most of our chocolate's pretty sugary these days. Um, but if you go into the dark chocolate, that's pretty high in magnesium. So that's always a fun one. <laughs> dark chocolate love it yeah Yeah. so those that's kind of my my go and I mean leafy greens and all that stuff too right but okay wonderful okay awesome so we learned magnesium is awesome movement is awesome for our period health let's talk about dosage in terms of physical activity so let's let's break this down in terms of the the average woman she wanting to be healthy, maybe she's thinking about doing a marathon. Let's use that as an example. Okay. Um, What would be sort of your recommendation on a weekly or daily basis for getting her started on that journey? Yeah. So if it's, if we're talking running, um, it's usually beneficial to not only run, but also do some strength training as well um, and some cross training. So the, you know, the physical activity guidelines are basically 150 minutes a week for average people. Um, if you're running a marathon, that is probably going to be more. Okay. Um, but yeah, so at that bare minimum for most people, it should be 150 minutes a week of moderate to high intensity, which means like breaking a sweat. Um, and yeah, basically, yeah, if, if you're running it, 
breaking a sweat, but still being able to kind of maintain a conversation with people and not, you know, running so hard that you're, you know, dying after 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah. Which actually a lot of people do when they start running, they think they have to like run all out and then they hate running because they feel like garbage and really they're just running too fast. Mm. Yeah, (laughs) that's what I see anyways. Sort of this, like a lot of women will describe like they're, you know, it's it's all or nothing. Yeah. Um, And I think you said it well, that can really get you into trouble when you're training for a goal that you have um, Mm -hmm. in the sense that if you're going too intense, then you then don't feel like you want to do it because you're not getting the benefits. Yeah. And then, I mean, the more that you exercise, the more you need to fuel. Um, and the most, I haven't really met many athletes that are actually good at fueling, okay. um, which is usually where I come in. <laughs> so tell me what that means. What does, what does good at fueling mean? Break it down for me. Yeah. So eating enough, eating at the right times and eating the right kinds of foods. Okay. Um, so most, especially endurance athletes, for sure. Most of them don't eat enough food during their day and most of them don't get enough protein. Okay. Um, and so in the short term, that's not terrible, but in the long term, it does set people up for, um, for injury and for just poor recovery. Um, and then overtraining essentially, um, which is in my opinion, really just not recovering. There isn't really overtraining. Isn't really a thing. It's just what happens when you don't recover properly. And so, um, I work with, you know, Ironman athletes. I work with people like couch to 5k people. I work ultra marathoners as well. And so people that are exercising from like 10 to 17 hours in a day, sometimes for multiple days. Okay. Um, and so for, for them, it's really about energy management and really about just making sure you're getting the fuel in. Um, and so as long as you're supporting that activity, then there really isn't an upper limit of, of exercise that is doable for people. Um, but I mean, you can't jump right into that, right? So you've got to work up to those things. So there isn't sort of like a, the low end dose of exercise is 150 minutes and the high end dose is as much as you can maintain, um, and support with, you know, the, your diet and the rest of your lifestyle and recovery practices. Yeah. I, I, yeah, that well said Tracy. And I think even like the recovery piece, we jump to, well, we want results fast and we think more is better. And we, you know, we know that's not necessarily the case if you're not recovering at the right, yeah. the right pace. Um, okay. So let's, let's get into that. Like, let's, let's talk about someone is maybe not recovering as optimally. Like what would be some of the signs that women can look for to let them know, like, maybe you have to slow down the frequency of your exercise or maybe even the intensity, um, based on sort of what they're noticing in their body. Yeah. So the easiest one is just is fatigue, right? So if you're just feeling more tired than normal, um, that's a pretty obvious one. Other ones are, you know, lack of motivation, um, difficulty sleeping. If you've got some, you know, aches and pains that aren't really going away, they might not be like full blown injuries, but they just might be like, Oh, I feel really achy or I feel really tired, or you can just sort of feel it in your body. Mm -hmm. Um, that like full on body fatigue, that's another one. Um, and then, you know, mood changes as well and difficulty, you know, focusing at work or even, um, a lack of motivation to even go exercise can be part of it too. Um, there are some, if you're following a training plan for things like a marathon, um, there's definitely times in the training schedule where you are going to feel like that. And that's actually designed on purpose. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's something called overreaching, which just means that you're pushing your body a little bit farther than it can go so that you can get the benefit from it. But then after that, there's a recovery week built in. And so if you're feeling that for more than like a week, then there's, there's an issue for sure. 
Um, and then the other kind of big one that we see is just, it's more of a longer term um, under recovery, but that's, you know, if your period goes wonky. <laughs> so if it comes comes early, go, doesn't come at all. Um, if, if you're usually pretty regular and you skip a month or two for, you know, non-pregnant reasons, mm-hmm. um, then yeah, that's something to be looking or to be really aware of as well. Okay. So that feeds into our female triad, which I do want to get to, but first I want to ask you a question about another question to follow up the recovery. So, you know, you hear when women start a new training program, they'll say, you know, like, Oh yeah, I'm so sore the next day. Tell me what percentage of that is normal and what percentage of like requires, like maybe you need an extra rest day. Yeah. When you're first starting out, I always kind of go by feel um, because there isn't really, I haven't really seen any kind of hard and fast evidence in terms of what you should and shouldn't be doing. So um, usually I always tell people to just start whatever they're doing gently. So don't like jump all in, um, which can be challenging if you're working with like a personal trainer or something. Sometimes they want to push like their mentality is to push, push, push. And sometimes Mm -hmm. if you're just, if you're new at something, learning the technique, getting it down um, and doing it properly is the most important part. Um, and the first part of what you do when you're, tr- when you're doing a new training program is actually your brain is learning how to move your muscles better mm-hmm. and you're learning how to recruit more muscle fibers. You're not actually increasing muscle size. So it's really a neuromuscular thing at that point. Um, and you don't have to do, you know, super heavy weights or super like a lot of reps to get that going. Um, and so when you're just starting out simple and easy is always a bit better. Um, and then you always have space to build on that too. Right. Um, if you are feeling sore after, um, after a new program or something, then, I mean, a day or two of feeling like you worked out is normal. Um, but if, I mean, if it's significantly impacting your life, then you might want to be taking a rest. Um, I know one time I started working with personal trainer and we were doing a whole bunch of like bicep curls and I couldn't even straighten my arm the next day. And I was like, this is, we can't do that again. (laughs) Like that's (laughs) too much for me right now. Right. And so I took, I took a bit of time off from from the gym because I needed to. Right. And I just listened to my body around that. Um, and it's, I mean, slowing down is always, always an option, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We always think, you know, if I miss, if I miss leg day, then, you know, that's a big problem, but I mean, you can have another leg day another day and that's totally fine. Right. And it won't be the end of the world for, for those of us that are, you know, looking to be active and healthy. Right. Um, yeah. Listening to your body, that is definitely a message that I know cannot be reinforced enough. Yeah. <laughs> we always want to push ourselves beyond what we're capable of. And we'll get there just with with time. Yeah, for sure. And especially, I mean, there's times and places to definitely be pushing yourself. Um, but if you're starting something brand new, that might not be the time to, you know, break down all those mental barriers. It's really probably better off for you to become more consistent and make it part of your lifestyle. And then you can build. Right. Um, I always think back to my, um, I ran a a half marathon. It was my personal best time. Um, and I wasn't even running fast. I was just running frequently. Like I just, I was leading a, a half marathon program at a local running club. Um, and I was running four or five times a week, but I was running slower than I wanted to be running, but I still managed to get a personal best in my half marathon because I was just doing consistently, right? The intensity, there was a few days where I, you know, improved my intensity or increased it, but it was really the consistency that made the difference, right? Mm-hmm. And so you don't have to go all out all of the time. And in fact, you you shouldn't, right? Oh, another good message. <laughs> 
I, I love the piece about the brain and, you know, that's the first step. We really have to train your brain to know what's coming and what the movements are going to look like. So that mm-hmm. piece, I think lots of listeners can, can appreciate actually what's happening in the beginning part because the results are still there. We're just priming the body to get optimal mm-hmm. results in whatever our timeline is. Yeah, exactly. Okay, fabulous. Okay, let's jump into female triad because I think this is something that affects a lot of young women, um, particularly when they're first starting out um, on a specific sports team or on their exercise and maybe weightlifting journey. Um, So yeah, so Tracy, if you can break it down for us in terms of what are sort of the criteria and what it is as a whole. Yeah, for sure. So it's... um, Sports medicine and women is not really studied all that well, and either is sport nutrition, but this is the one thing that has a lot of evidence behind it has been kind of followed for a very long time. So that's, you know, lucky for us, we have this, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so when it first was kind of identified, it was, um, so it's female athlete triad. Triad means three things, right? So it's a collection of three different things that are going on at the same time. Um, the first one is what they used to call eating disorders. So it had to be like bulimia or anorexia. Now it's called disordered eating, which really, and actually low energy availability. Um, so disordered eating just means, you don't, it doesn't have to be a full on eating disorder. It just has to mean that your eating patterns are not healthy. Um, and then when you take that a step farther and you look at something that's now termed low energy availability, um, that means that you're not getting in enough fuel for the activity that you're doing. So depending on which resources you're looking at, they might say disordered eating or they might say low energy availability. Um, I tend towards the low energy availability because you can still have a you know healthy, a healthy diet um, and make really good choices and not have a, a bad relationship with food or a challenging relationship with food, but still not be eating well and it can or not enough, um, and that can still lead you down this road. Okay. Um, so I prefer the term low energy availability. And so what that does is over time, if you're not getting in enough fuel, um, it actually impacts your body's ability to make hormones. um, So specifically like estrogen and progesterone, which means that we can't maintain a cycle. So the second piece of the female athlete triad is um, amenorrhea or oligomenorrhea, which is no periods or infrequent periods. Um, And so the third piece of that comes as kind of based off of the the hormone piece as well. And so the third piece is low bone mineral density, which just means weaker bones or not building your bones as well as you should. Um, and that's based on the lower amount of estrogen that your body's being exposed to. So estrogen is one of the biggest um, kind of bone building hormones in our, in our body. Um, and so if we're not making enough estrogen, then we're not building our bones very well. Um, and so those are kind of the three main pieces. People don't necessarily always know about the energy availability piece and they don't always, you won't know that you're not building bone well because you can't see it or feel it. Mm -hmm. Um, But the one thing that women will notice is the change in the period, right? So that's the one big marker to look out for. And once they notice a change in their period, um, is it something that it just, it just happened or is it something that happens over time? Like what's the timeline in terms of when they notice it and how far along they are maybe in the, in the triad? It really depends. Um, every woman's a bit different for that. So I've had, you know, I've had some women where it's, um, taken years to 
to have no period and it's taken a long time to get it back. Um, and I've also had some women where it's, you know, you know, a three or four month thing as well. So it really just depends on, on the person. So, uh, my next question is about the lasting effects of female triads. So let's say a woman has just, you know, she just lost her period, but maybe it's been going on for months or even years. Um, to me, I think about, okay, low estrogen, low progesterone, like we know the effects of not getting your period and how that can affect your, just the communication between your brain and your reproductive organs. And that can, you know, that could be challenging for the body. So my question would then be, what, if women are in this scenario, like what can they expect maybe for their future fertility? Is there anything in the research that has shown like that that could be diminished? You know, are they... What what advice and what help would you offer to reassure these women? Yeah, I haven't seen anything in the research in terms of um, the impact on like long term fertility for losing your period for you know a few months to a few years. Um, I think the key is getting it back, right? Okay. And so as long as um, you can re- regain those hormonal cycles, which is is possible, um, it doesn't come back right away. For some people, it can take up to up to a year. Um, but the first piece starts with the addressing the energy availability okay. for sure. Yeah. Um, and so getting in enough fuel that can be recoverable, um, in the short term. So within, you know, a few days to a few weeks, you can implement that. Um, but it'll take a bit more time for it to have an impact on the cycle and on the hormones. Um, and then that'll have take a bit more time to have an impact on the bone density as well. Okay, great. Yeah. So that's definitely hope for women does not affect your future fertility. You can get your period back. We work on your energy fuel. Those are all really positive. Um, And I love that we're speaking about this because it's definitely, I know a question a lot of women have. Yeah. And it's always kind of funny too, right? Because when women don't have a good period or a good cycle, um, which I mean, we should be having good cycles. That's the whole point of it. Um, Mm -hmm. Having uncomfortable cycles is actually, it's, you know, common, but it's not not healthy and not natural. Right. And so Mm. I see, I'm on a bunch of different forums on, you know, different social media media platforms. And I see lots of women that are like, they're trying to figure out how to suppress their cycle, how to not have it come on race day, how to, Mm. how to just manipulate it so that they feel better. And I was like, well, I mean, my opinion is why don't you just feel better? Mm -hmm. Right. Because then it shouldn't be a problem. If your period's causing that much problem and that might, those many, that many symptoms, then there's something kind of wonky going on and you probably could dig digger dig deeper to figure it out rather than just trying to suppress it and manipulate it. Um, mm-hmm. Because, you know, we've been taught that it's kind of a burden. No one really talks about them anymore. Or, I mean, we're starting to, but like there was a long time where people just didn't talk about it. And especially in sports, um, it's not something that's really, really common. And women don't really realize that it's actually a marker of health, right? Having a healthy mm-hmm. period is sort of my fifth vital sign um, for women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So couldn't have said it better, Tracy. <laughs> Discovering the potential of your period is 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 huge, um, and reducing the shame and and as you've alluded to and and informed us during this interview, like there are times in the cycle when we can really use those hormones to our advantage. And really, it sounds like it's right. Well, it is not. It sounds like it's right during our period. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. So. Thank you so much for all of the conversation today. I think you've given our listeners a lot to think about, a lot to reflect on. 
Um, now I know there's going to be women out there who are questioning whether they're getting enough energy availability or enough fuel for mm -hmm. their workouts. So why don't you tell us a bit about your freebie and special gift that you have for our listeners and then also where our listeners can find you if they want to reach out and get more support. Yeah, for sure. So um, I have a, a gift. It's all around hydration because I'm, I'm all about performance made simple, peak performance made simple. Mm -hmm. um, people like to complicate things far too much and it doesn't have to be that challenging. Um, and so the number one way that we can increase performance is actually through hydration, uh, which is really easy to do. All you need is a water bottle, right? Like, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, And so my freebie is all around how to, how to calculate your hydration needs um, and how to set yourself up for success in terms of getting that in um, during your day, how to, you know, how to hack your own hydration. Um, and then the other piece for, for women specifically is um, with the calculator, you can do it during different times of your month so you can see, you know, what effect progesterone and your progesterone levels have um, on your hydration at the second, in, in the second half of your cycle, right? Because it's going to be different, um, different throughout the month for women. So it's really helpful to, do that a couple of times um, and then you have kind of a standard that you can work off of and that's the easiest way to improve performance. Great. Yeah. I hope, Great. I hope everyone enjoys that. <laughs> I had a lot of fun putting it together. Um, and then I have um, a Facebook group called kick some asphalt. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's kind of where we share some tidbits and things um, around performance and around health uh, and around, you know, recovery and just maintaining uh, everyone's longevity in their sport. Okay. And we'll put all those links in the show notes for you guys. Um, I think hydration is the, it's so simple, like you said, Tracy, but it's the number one thing that we, we don't, we, it falls off our radar. We don't put as much focus and attention into. So having a calculator and having that reminder is fantastic. Um, so yeah, go check that out. And I want to thank you for being on the show today. This was so wonderful. It was great chatting with you um, and hearing and hearing your, just your insight. I mean, you're very much your background and your, your personal experience as well as your professional experience as being an athlete can really help so many women, no matter where they are on this journey of being physically fit or being an like athlete at heart. I think that is, that's really, we're all athletes at heart. It's just about figuring out what 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 our what our forte is what our passion is yeah exactly well thank you so much for having me it was really fun to to chat with you and share some of those insights so thanks again Woo, thank you thank you for listening to the hormone heartbeat podcast if you enjoyed today's episode be sure to subscribe so you can be notified of all future episodes and don't forget to check out the show notes for all guest details and your free downloadable goodies. Your feedback is important to me, so please, please leave a review so women can find and be empowered by this knowledge. If you have a topic you'd like to see discussed on the show or have a recommendation for guests you'd like to see interviewed, please get in touch by emailing thehormoneheartbeatpodcast at gmail.com.